You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. So we're continuing in our series called Stir It Up in the books of First and Second Peter. And the main theme is that God wants us to be people who get stirred up by him and who also stir ourselves up to grow in our relationship with Christ and to encourage others to be doing the exact same thing. And the theme comes from 2 Peter chapter 3 where he writes and says, in these two letters I've written to you, the purpose is that you would be stirred up to remember the things God has said and the prophetic words that he's given. And for us, there are, it's easy for us to imagine yourself as a snow globe. Often, we in the snow globe can be completely at rest and there's nothing flying around. And if you get the idea of being stirred up as being, God wants to shake our snow globes, not to cause disarray, but so that as we're moving, it's much easier to direct those that are in movement and to direct those that are open to do something versus the, I'm going to be waiting here until Jesus returns. By that, I mean, sometimes we waiting upon the Lord is something that we, it requires an absence of activity. And what I actually found is that waiting on the Lord means doing the things you know to do. And if you don't know what else to do, you limit your activity, but you still take care of the main things. Those love one another, uh, be kind to one another, compassionate to one another. Am I cutting out pretty good? Okay. If it happens anymore, I'll go to my handheld, which is not optimal, but I'll try and do it. Okay, all right, so you let me know, okay? Okay, all right. So as we go through this, there's several themes that show up over and over again. Did it again, didn't it? Hey, okay, there we are. So we are here. Themes that we are looking for. And the reason we're looking for themes in First and Second Peter is because it helps us to be paying attention. If there's themes in a letter in the Bible, these are things that may show up in our life as well. Because as it's written 2,000 years ago, it's still something that applies to us today. One of the main themes we see in First uh, and Second Peter is persevere in and through suffering. As we follow Christ, we're not just persevering because you know, we're going to suffer and that's it, but we persevere because uh, the enemy of our soul, the devil, as well as our flesh, that which opposes Christ and his work inside of us, uh, really wants to cause us to experience opposition so that we will shut up. One of the things we see over and over in the Gospels and in these letters is that there is a specific pattern where there's lots of threats that get made as people want to take steps of obedience to Jesus and to declare Jesus in the way that they live and to other people. Um, the enemy will respond with, if you do this, I'm going to hurt you. If you do this, people are going to talk bad about you. If you do this, they could even begin to threaten you or worse. And while all of those things are true, Jesus invites us to find him in the middle of the hard stuff. And to know that he's not going to abandon us, he's not going to leave us alone. He's not going to, when we experience persecution, say, oh, well, I guess you better think about stopping. Instead, he challenges us to find him and to walk through with him through the difficulty. And it's really awesome because he says in Matthew chapter 10, if they kill the leader, how much more should the followers expect to be persecuted? Uh, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, this is what happened to me, expect it to happen to you, but don't be disturbed. Don't, don't let your heart uh, be, be shut down. Don't, don't go into a hole because God's going to meet you exactly where you are and give you what you need to make it through. So persevere through suffering. Uh, number two, put your hope in Christ. He's our source of life. He's our source of hope. He's the one who will never leave us or forsake us. That's his promise. Then be obedient to Christ in all things. Put into practice what you know. No one knows everything they need to know to follow Jesus. But what you do know, do that. 
I love having my grandkids live with me because it's a constant thing of they are learning new stuff. And not too long ago, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, I was going to share this, but um, I've gone at, Joni and I, uh, our bedroom wall is right against the bedroom wall for our two, Mila, who's four, and Brody, who is three. And we go in there when we hear the knocking on the wall the first time. We go in there because if, if we went in every time, we'd be training them like Pavlov's dog. We can get them to come whenever we want. So it's like get one shot. So we'll go in there and we'll pray with them. And they're really mad and they're grumpy and they're ready. They're supposed to be going to bed, but they're just like, oh, we're so mad. And I knew they're mad because they're saying, we're so mad. Why are you so mad? It's like, Mimi says, we're so mad because my mama said, you can't have more snacks. And I says, well, you know, you can't just eat whatever you want whenever you want to do it. And the three-year-olds, why not? It's like, because there's a point where you can just keep eating and you never take the time that's necessary to rest or to sleep or just to drink water or to let your body digest. And it's good to, to learn discipline where you get to hear no from your mom and your dad. And, and Mila says, it's, it's because they love you. And Mila says, but, but I, I don't want to hear no. And then Brody's like, yeah, we hate no. It's like, but they're learning as they go, but often we love it when things are great, but when we hear no, it's like, we hate no too. Put into practice what you know to do. You find that God only gives us no's, not because he can't think of anything else to say. He's not the frustrated parent where it's like, because I shut you up. <laughs> There's a no that's directly tied towards living in his blessing and under his covering. Number four, live holy or live set apart to God in all areas. You, you belong to him and you live for his purposes. Regardless of your job, regardless of the tasks you do, you are living for God's purposes no matter what. You don't waste your life. There's not jobs that are more important. Everything you're doing, you're doing to the glory of God. You know, how you eat, how you live, how you take care of your body, how you perform at work, how, how, <coughs> excuse me, how you do at school. The kind of way, the ways that you drive, you're bringing glory to God in every area. Last week, we went through second, or First Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. And the sum up version is this. We're instructed to keep our conduct 100% honorable all the time, to shine before God, that our life is a testimony that speaks to the character of, of Christ. It also helps to overcome the accusations of what they say Christians are like. In the first century, the thought was these are atheists because they don't worship the gods and they don't worship the empire. They have this other god that we don't recognize. They were considered to be cannibals because they eat flesh and drink blood when they do communion. They call each other brother and sister, even sometimes the people that they're married to. So, you know, they have this crossbreeding incestuous thing going on. And there's all these things that were maligning them. We have things that are maligning to us today that people will speak about Christians, some of them because they can point to an example and say, that's what they're like. The instruction from Christ is, live in such a way as to make those accusations fall to the ground. Bring glory to God. Number two, be subject to or submit yourselves to all human institutions, all authorities that are established by God. And this is how you keep your conduct 100% is to live in submission and live at peace. Number three, when I hear that second one, immediately it's like, well, what about this and what about that situation? The focus here is not to focus on the exceptions, on the areas, well, the whatabouts. Our responsibility, to the best of our ability, is to keep the main thing the main thing. When it comes down to should you obey Christ or should you obey human laws, it will be very evident. 
when the disciples were told, no longer preach in the name of Jesus or you'll be punished. They said, should we listen to you or should we listen to God? Okay, it was not about, a, well, this is what my political persuasion is, or this is what I believe. If it doesn't come down to the, a main thing, many times we get to hear no on stuff that we think is dumb. Jesus paid his taxes. Jesus encouraged his disciples to live at peace. The apostle Paul wrote and said, to the best of your ability, live at peace with all people. He wasn't talking about living deceitfully. He was saying a lot of the way, you got to keep in mind, you don't, you're not from there. When uh, Joni and I uh, went to Germany, we took our kids one year, and we'd gone multiple times for mission trips. And this particular time, we are in Germany, and my friend Johannes takes us to a soccer game. And it's just me and Johnny and Joey and Johannes. And Johannes is a little bit to the, he's a little more rabid than your most rabid Raider fan you've ever seen. And so we didn't know that the first time we were going. And so he's the paint your face, put the stuff on, screaming at the other, other teams. You know, we found out that they keep the opposing fans at this arena inside their own cage. Because we're fans of supposedly the Frankfurt team and we're playing against the, the Berlin team and the people from Frankfurt want to thrash the people from Berlin and vice versa. And of course, my son Johnny, who at the time was about 10 or 11, is wearing a Frankfurt jersey and we happen to be, we're not from here. We don't know what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. We don't speak German much. I mean, we knew some of the foods, but we're walking through and I don't know if you've ever been around 10-year-olds. They don't always have their head up. Okay? He's just kind of doing his thing, and he walks right into a guy wearing blue. We're wearing red, and the blue is for Berlin. And the guy goes off, and he's got to be mid-20s, full of beer courage, and he's like, sees my son wearing this red who just ran into him, and he wants to go soccer hooligan. And we're trying to explain to this guy in English, which he doesn't speak, that we're not from here. We're just wearing this stuff and we're trying to get from where we're going. We want you just to go to your cage and then we'll go to our seats and it'll be okay. And we had to get, there was a couple of cops who were there who fortunately jumped in and we're trying to, they're saying, you can't do anything in German. And eventually Johannes jumps in and I don't know if that they took him too seriously because he's again, rabid, rabid, rabid fan. But we're not from here. We don't know all the rules or we don't know how to, we just want to fly under the radar. We don't want to try and stand out and be antagonistic in a place that's not really our home. Does that make sense? Okay. So with those things, the very last thing is live free. The word here is live like you were born free. And as you live free, live like you are a servant, the personal servant of God to give honor to those who deserve honor, to, to love the brothers, the people who belong to Christ, to love God, and then to honor the emperor, the, the one who's been placed in authority. And that's important to know because the passage of scripture that we're talking about today does not have a parallel in our American world. We're talking about the spot that says, basically, servants or slaves, be subject to your masters. It would be wrong to say, well, this is the same as employees, you know, listen to, your, listen to your employers. That's not the case. Because in an employee-employer situation, you get to go home and order the rest of your day how you want to order it. They didn't. I want to touch on a couple of things, hopefully, that will, will, will uh, paint a picture and create a, uh, an understanding of as we go through these scriptures, 
what these guys are hearing is such a drastic change and a challenge to the worldview that would have been accepted by everyone within the Roman Empire. And we're going to read over Galatians 3, 27 through 29 and Colossians 3, 11. And then we're going to talk through the passage of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 through 25. So here we go. In Galatians, Paul writes, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if or since you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. To Colossians 3.11. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And what he's saying here is you are all one in Christ, and regardless of what group you belong to, and trust me, the groups at this time were stratified into classes that you could not move out of. In Christ, he is the great equalizer. He did not elevate certain persons and say these are better. He did not say others because of their social standing or lack thereof that they're less than. He says, you are all one in Christ. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, and then found again in Acts chapter 2, the promise is fulfilled where it says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he does the same thing as he says in these scriptures. He says, on the young and the old, on the male and the on the female, on the free, and on the slave. Everyone gets God through Jesus. If you are a person who lives within an inhabitant of the Roman Empire, you belong to a very detailed and complex class system that dictates your rights, your status, and your opportunities. Based on how you're born, for the most part, this is who you are, and this is how you will live. And these are the opportunities in front of you. But in Christ, even though that Roman Empire says this is what's true, Christ circumvents that and says, but in Christ, in the kingdom of God, there is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. There is no male or female. It's for everyone. The Holy Spirit is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. That's the reality. Now, we have these letters from Paul, and we have this letter from Peter that's teaching us we're all one, brothers and sisters in Christ. How then do we navigate in this incredibly stratified empire? That's 1 Peter. It says, for us today, how... I want you to try and imagine the significance of the change in worldview for a first century person as they are been living in this way their entire life. And they've been told, this is, what, this is the way things function. And now, in Christ, the person who owns slaves, the slave owner, the master, is now told, this slave has the same status before God as you, and actually is your brother. That's the book of Philemon, when he has a runaway slave named Onesimus, who is returned to him. And Paul says, by the way, he used to be your slave, and he still is according to the Roman Empire, but I want you to treat him as your brother. And by the way, I'm going to come check on you in a little while. For us, we don't have the clearly stratified society that the Roman Empire had. But we do have to try and think through what does it look like for me to be obedient to Christ and to live for him in a time where 
It may not be as stratified as Rome, but we still have a completely different way that Jesus is inviting us to be and to live. Okay? So, you tracking so far? Okay, good. So, history nerd Louis comes out a little bit right now, okay? The social classes and rights in the Roman Empire. This is the Roman Empire edition, first century. The heavily stratified Roman society you had Roman citizens. You had the patricians, the upper class, and the plebeians, the lower class. You had people organized according to the property that they owned, all the way from the equestrian class, which were people who could supply horses to the army, and all the way down to people who could serve as proverbial cannon fodder, okay? From there, you have separation according to gender. And if you were the person who was designated the paterfamilias or the head of the household, you were the person who would declare for everyone in the house, this is how things will go. Think like in the Old Testament when Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's the same way. The person would dictate, this is how it goes. A woman, even under the, the, the head of the household, who was a free citizen, had no vote and was under the control of and c- complete direction of the, of the head of the household. Women were considered often to be no good for anything other than having children. And you had a whole other class that was, u- was used for uh, love and sex and other things with the courtesans, etc., Then you have the freedmen, the people who used to be slaves, but who gained citizenship, but they will never be considered full citizens because they're second class. They used to be slaves. Then you have the slaves. No citizenship, no rights, no property, no ability to sign a contract, no marriage that they enter would be legal. For a person who was not a citizen, who was free, they would live under the domain of the laws where they lived. But... If they came in contact with a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier, or a Roman citizen, they are obviously placed underneath them as far as what their rights would be. There's one particular passage where it says, Paul the apostle is being accused of starting riots. And the, the, the soldiers who are giving, putting him through the, the third degree aren't getting the answers they desire. So what do you do in that situation? Let's put him on the rack. So they put him on the rack and they're going to beat him to get answers out of him. Because that's what you do to non-citizens. They, they can't stop you. I mean, you want to get an answer, it's much quicker. You just start hitting them. And Paul says, is it legal for you to do this to a Roman citizen? And homeboy, the guy who was doing this about wet himself. He's like, what? You're a citizen? I had no idea. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry, Paul. Paul could have stuck it to him because of what happened. For people who became Christian, who are now learning that in the letters in Ephesians and in 1 Timothy, that women are not just to be loved and cherished by their husbands, but they're to be treated as equals, as partners in life. They're to be taught. They're to be brought along in the ways of Jesus. This is completely against everything that the Roman Empire would stand for. Women? Jesus says yes. For slaves, they are told to live the best life you can live to bring honor to God by the way that you do. That's where we're going today. There were the slaves in the Roman Empire made up about 20% of the population of the empire. And there's a ton of different words that, that, that denote what the slave did. So the first one was the oikites, or the miscellaneous household servant. This would be the red shirt guy on Star Trek. He just is there to do stuff, and he's not really assigned to anybody. He's just kind of, you know, give me, a, give me somebody to do this. You know, kid barfs in the, in the foyer. Hey, we need a red shirt out there to go do this. 
nothing special. But then we have the special bond servant, the one who is signed or assigned to one person to be their servant. This is where it is doulos. When Paul the apostle identifies himself in his letters, he says, I, Paul, a servant or bond servant of Christ, he uses, I am doulos. I am bonded intentionally. I belong to him. Then you had another one that was kind of for, for underage servants. They were called pais, like paisano. They, were, they are uh, like in Matthew chapter 6 when the centurion goes to Jesus and says, hey, I've got a servant at home who's sick. Would you heal him? And Jesus says, sure, I'll come. And he says, you don't need to come for I'm a man under authority just like you. I, I tell my, my soldiers, go, and they go. And I tell them to come this way, and they come. So if you just speak the word that he's healed, he'll be healed. And Jesus says, hey, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. He says, go, your servant has been made well. That's that word. The last one is diakonos, which means minister or servant or deacon. This is the word Jesus uses when he says, if anyone wants to be first, they must be last and be the servant or the diakonos of all, okay? So what we find here in this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, it's the word oikites, which means the miscellaneous household servant. This goes for everybody belongs to this. Here we go. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, whether neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Servants, be subject to your masters. You household servants, all of you who fall under this category, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. This is not an employee's employer's things. This is people who are in this caste of servant with a slave with no rights, with no property rights, with no abilities to vote, with no abilities to do anything. People can be treated literally as expendable property. Valuable, yes, but still expendable. Your job is to submit yourself to your, to your master and not just when things are going well, but even when you're mistreated because sometimes you're gonna be mistreated and it's gonna be because you, you really messed up. That's not suffering for Jesus. That's suffering for messing up, Okay. I can't tell you how many times I've encountered people talking about their suffering for Jesus, and in reality, what they're suffering for is a lack of accountability or not following through on a responsibility that was put in front of them. And maybe somebody mentions, well, this is just what Christians do. In my job, when I worked for the state, I had a boss who did not want to assign the two Christian people that were known in our office with any responsibilities because inevitably, they would not meet the need. And they were, I think the professional uh, classification was they were slackers and they did it in Jesus' name. You know, I need to go on a prayer walk during my break. Well, you got 10 minutes. Well, I just got caught up. I'm so sorry. At some point, a 20-minute prayer walk, when you're supposed to be on a 10-minute walk or a 10-minute break, speaks negatively about who Jesus is. And, well, I can't believe I'm not getting promoted. I can. Nobody can depend upon you. 
You're not suffering for Jesus if you're suffering for bad performance, okay? Peter's encouraging people, we do this and everything we do, we do unto him, okay? It does us no good or it is gracious for us to suffer even when we're doing well. It is gracious for us to to not insist on our rights. For the slave, they don't have any, so when they get beat by their master, they just have to take it. Americans are so quick. We, I am, I am become one. I am an American. We are so quick to insist on our rights when we're wronged or real or perceived wrong. And we hear in this situation that Peter says, he's not saying just be a doormat, but he's kind of reflecting what Jesus said. If you get struck on one cheek, turn the other cheek. If a Roman soldier comes and says, I want you to walk a mile with me, which they could, because that's what Roman soldiers could do, carry my stuff, walk too. If they take your jacket, give them your cloak too. And in doing so, you're piling up rewards for yourself in heaven, but you're also showing, I'm not going to allow this to to belittle me because I'm doing what I'm doing for the glory of God. Does that make sense? So Peter here is challenging us knowing that we will experience it, but especially those in the, in the lowest of the low of the empire, you have an opportunity to bring glory to God by the way that you live. The early church is full of slaves who really got the idea that in Christ, I can be one with him and there is no more, I'm just a doormat for nothing. But he says, instead, I'm like a freeborn person that belongs to him and I get to be a slave to Jesus. Heck yes, I wanna sign up for that. The early church, one of the reasons it turned the Roman Empire on its head is because they didn't follow the the stratified gender class or the property class or it it didn't follow it at all. And you ended up with people who rub shoulders who never had to rub shoulders before. For us, one of the main things that we believe as as a Christian people is that we're called to be the light of the world as Jesus is and to let our light shine so that people give glory to God. We're called to be the Monday morning church where in everything we do, everywhere we go, we bring glory to God by the way we speak and by the way we act. This is something that's birthed out of these types of instructions in the middle of the darkness, be a light. In the middle middle of things falling apart, be the preservative that salt is. And this is not something we just have to generate on our own. Peter points to Jesus and says, after all, we are following, following the example of Jesus Christ. And this is your calling. This is something you were destined for because this is what Christ-likeness looks like. When you suffer and you suffer well for Jesus, you're walking in his footsteps. You're doing what he did. When you see how Jesus was persecuted, he committed no sin. He told no lies. When people spoke negatively about him, when they hated him, he did not hate back. When he was reviled, when he was spoken about negatively, he did not respond to them. He did not reciprocate when people were beating him before he died, when they were taking the the stick and whacking him on the head when he's got the Jerusalem thorns, which are six inches long, by the way, and they're whacking him on the head and he's he's blindfolded and they're saying, who hit you? Who hit you? He didn't respond. And it wasn't because he couldn't. It's because he chose not to because he was responding not to what was happening to him. He was responding to his commanding officer who is God the Father. He said, I will do and bring glory to God what he says. I will do what he says for me to do. He continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. When you are judged unjustly, entrust yourself to the one who will judge justly. 
Turn it over to him. Talk to Jesus about it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 21 talks about how we've been ransomed and paid for by Christ's precious blood that he willingly poured out at the cross. And what this means for us is when we put our trust in him, we receive salvation from our sins. The payment for sin is death. But that, that payment has been made by Jesus, his death, that we don't have to have it. We can live for him. And because of that coming to Christ, coming to life in Christ, we can be dead to sin and alive for righteousness. In Romans chapter five, it says in great detail that we have the opportunity to, when we come to Christ, we're, no, we're gonna be a slave to something. And we can either be a slave to sin and wrong or we can be a slave to Christ. And the challenge we see there and also here in First Peter is don't offer yourself as a slave to sin. Instead, live free and willingly give yourself as a slave to Christ to do what is right. He provided the ways and the means by which we can do this. We don't have to be slaves to sin. By the way, it's Romans 6, not 5. That healing and wholeness come to us through Christ as we walk following after him. I love the picture here where, you know, Jesus in, in John chapter 10 identifies himself as, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear me and they know my voice. It's the passage where he says, and I, the, the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I've come to give life in all of its fullness. And he says, before Christ, you were like sheep on the run with no shepherd to care for you. But now you're back and you're being cared for by your shepherd and the one who is the boss or the overseer or the, the actual word is the bishop, which was the highest ranking office they could come up with. It's the bishop of your soul. You, if you belong to Christ, you do not belong to yourself. Your soul does not belong to you. You got a boss. You have a master, you have an overseer who is the boss of your soul. And he's the one who knows you best. And he's there to oversee every area of your life. As we bring it home, these instructions to behave towards each other in a way that is completely contradictory and out of context for their societal norms, can't, we can't, we, I don't want us to miss it. Because we don't live 2,000 years ago, but can you see how weird it would be for a person who's been taught this is just the way it is? Now, as a Christian, I want you to completely deal with it differently. You're going to have to learn how to navigate through the world because you're going to be in the world of Jesus, and then you're going to have to be in the Roman Empire world. You can't be a person who lives for Jesus in 2022 and not figure out a way to live in the real world too. People try. They try not to have to engage here. I'm sorry, I don't accept that authority. I only follow Jesus's. He said, well, actually, that's not how it works. The authorities that you have are established by him. And there's gonna be a time where he comes back and as he returns and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. But in the meantime, our job is to do everything we can do to bring glory to God in our world. Flying under the radar. Not trying to make huge changes but attempting to, on a life-by-life -life basis, live for God in a way that he changes them. And we start to see the same kind of upheaval in societal classes that are historically directed towards self-indulgence who then turn their hearts and their minds and their lives over to Christ because what they see in you and me. One of the St. Francis's, I don't know if it was of Xavier, if it was a sissy, he might have been a sissy. He said something to the effect of, you know, preach Christ. Use words if necessary. In everything we do, we bring glory to God.
What do we do with this? How does us being all one in Christ impact our behavior? What parallels do we see with instruction to do well and to honor the authorities over me, even when I'm treated poorly? Since Jesus died for all people from all nations and all backgrounds, without regard for social class or caste or standing, how does it impact me in my life? Years ago, I can remember hearing from someone, they came up to me after a message and they said, I was at a table. We used to have a bunch of tables set up in the backs of the church. And I was talking about how Jesus came and he died. It was in the middle of uh, one of the many wars we were having in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I mentioned that Jesus had died for the Iraqis and the Afghanistan, Afghanistanis and the Kurdish people and started naming these people. And somebody at the table said, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. And they got bent out of shape, really out of shape. I had no idea. I was just, you know, completely in my own world up here. Da-da-da, preach Jesus, died for everybody. One of the hillsiders came up and said, this person got irate because you said Jesus time for everybody. I'd be remiss if we didn't mention this. It's possible for us to live a very American-centered gospel and to believe that Jesus came for America and we're a Christian nation and God made us special to him. There comes a point where I could say, yeah, but he didn't make us the most special nation in all the land. He said he loves all of us and he died for everyone. And we're not going to get to a spot in heaven where it's like, this is reserved for my favorites. <laughs> USA, USA, you can tell them by their stripes and stars and blue. And we giggle a little bit, but we often would see ourselves that way. Seeing Jesus not as the Robert, pa anybody remember Robert Powell playing Jesus? Let me just, in the movie Jesus of Nazareth, he's white Jesus, milky white, doesn't look like he's ever held a carpentry tool, and just kind of flows around, and he, it's, it was good, I guess it was good, but we get the picture that this is what Jesus was like. Now, if you want to see what Jesus was like, you look at somebody who lives in the Middle East. You look at an Israeli Jew, dark-skinned. It said in Isaiah 58, there was nothing about him that was remarkable. He wasn't a good-looking dude. He wasn't, wasn't anything naturally that would have said, that's going to be the Savior. I hear people talk about how Jesus, if he came today, you know, he'd be like, he'd be like super uber talented, like Justin Timberlake. And, you know, he'd be able to dance and sing. He'd do everything and he'd draw people to himself. And I say, that's bull. Absolutely not. He didn't aim for the glitz and the glamour. He aimed for the individual who was marginalized. The people that when they came to him, everyone else said, Shh, shut up. You know, he's too busy for you. And he would say, let the little children come to me. Let the blind man who seek and come to me. And by the way, the lepers who want to come to me, they can come too. You've got women on your inner circle, Jesus? Well, don't you know women don't really have much status? Jesus didn't give so much regard to the status quo of the empire as to bring the, declare the kingdom of God as at hand. He honored who he needed to honor. He lived under the authority, but he also recognized... He's not of this world, and neither are we. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would apply your words to us today. I thank you that you can take anything that I've said, and you can actually put it in our brains, put it in our heart, put it in our spirit, and give us marching orders, give us instructions that we can hold on to and apply. I pray, Lord, that we would experience conviction, that we would experience correction, that we would experience edification being built up, that we would experience your life.
I thank you that when we come to you, you hear us and you respond. I thank you that you did not just focus on the few, the proud, the, the ones that were the most gifted and most talented, but you called any and all who would believe and put their trust and faith in you. Help us to live in such a way, not of this world, but fully living in this place where we do. In Jesus' name, amen. As we wrap up, uh, we have a connect and grow counter right here where Cassidy and Cole are. Would you guys wave back there? So if you are here today and you've never started a relationship with Jesus and you would like to, I'd love for you to go back there and grab a yes packet. Cassidy, would you wave a yes packet around? This packet basically has resources for you to be able to find out what does it mean to begin walking with Jesus. It provides some resources and it also provides a contact person to say, hey, yeah, I want to believe with you that you are beginning your walk with Jesus and beginning to follow after him. Right on? Okay. There's going to be prayer available right back here at the trellis as soon as we're done. And I want to speak this blessing over you from Numbers chapter 6. It says, may the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. I say, God bless you. Go forward, bring in glory to God in all that you do. Right on? Amen. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's W-E-B at hillside, the number 4, dot org.